Amen. Amen. All right. Woo. Hey, this has been a tough series. Uh, you know, and I, every week, man, it's tough, but I need, I'm t- I need it too. It has been one of those where I've been preaching to myself every week. Uh, but let's start this out. Um, this is man that uh, one day he got off work on Friday afternoon, got his paycheck, and he decided, you know what? I'm not going home. So he got with his buddies. The whole weekend they went out hunting and fishing. He didn't call his wife, didn't let her know anything. He just showed up Sunday night. And his wife was like, she, uh, she was not happy with the way he did things. So for about two and a half hours, she lays into him, letting him know what she thinks about this. And finally she says, how would you like it if you didn't see me for about three days? He said, I'd be fine with it. So Monday came, went, he didn't see her. Tuesday came, went, he didn't see her. Wednesday came, didn't see her. Thursday, the swelling was going down just enough where he could see her. (laughs) There's power in your words, amen? Power in your words. Hey, this is the fifth week. We've been this uh, up to this. We start out with this uh, message called "Just Words." Are they really just words? And we we learn, man, words are powerful. They connect us to God, and they also connect us to people. Week two, we talked about this. With all due respect, come on. You know those people that feel like as long as they add with all due respect, they can pretty much say anything they want to. Come on, we Talladega Nights. Anybody? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I started to play the clip, but then I realized, no, I couldn't. Uh, but, you know, here's what they're asking. I want to be able to say whatever I want to say, but not have to reap any of the consequences of what I've just said. That's basically what they're saying. Week three, we looked at nine ways to die. Uh, Proverbs 18.21 says the, sun, the tongue can either bring life or death. What we speak has that power to, to bring life or death. And we looked at the nine ways. Uh, we're lying, stirring up division, gossip, slander, talebearer, cursing, misuse of God's name, contentiousness, meaning you're argumentative all the time. Anybody know anybody like that? They just argue about... Oh, I see heads turning. And then they're looking back. I don't do that. They're arguing about not arguing. Um, pessimism, someone that can only see the worst in everything. Come on. And, and then finally last week we looked at some amazing facts about the tongue. The tongue is disproportionately powerful. It is so powerful. We looked at this, how it is compared to uh, a bridle in a horse's mouth. That three, that little three-pound bridle can make a 1,500-pound horse go where it wants to. And James says that's how powerful the tongue is. It, can, it has the power to direct your life. So today we want to start out, we looked at this verse briefly last week, but that's what we're going to start with. Uh, James chapter 3, verse 8. But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. I love the way the message paraphrases this. Look at this. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue it runs wild, a wanton killer. So the easiest response is, well, Kelly, if the tongue can't be tamed, why bother even trying? 
Why, if it can't, why, why even try to do it if, if it can't? Here's the thing. It's not that it can't be tamed. It just can't humanly be tamed. You can't tame it. Your spouse can't tame it. Come on, your boss can't tame it. But God can tame it. it where, where, where it's humanly impossible, it is most definitely divinely possible for it to be tamed. Uh, let's, let's look at some examples. One, Jesus. You just saw him in one of our videos. You didn't know we were that close. Uh, so hopefully you did. So, but Jesus, on the cross, think about it. He's up there on the cross, severe pain, not just from the beatings, not just from the nails in his hands, but also emotional, mental pain by watching those he poured his life in to for three years, abandoning him and running off and leaving him. Yet when he looks down from the cross to only a couple of his followers left, he says these words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's a tongue under the submission of Father God. And I know, well, Kel, that's Jesus. Of course, Jesus is going to respond that way. Well, let's look at another example. Uh, A guy by the name of Joseph. If you're not familiar with Joseph's life, let me give you a quick rundown. His brothers hated him. So much so that they come up with a plan to kill him. And they said, let's throw him into this empty well. Well, they threw him into the empty well. Then one of the brothers had mercy and said, come on, guys, let's don't kill him. Let's make some money off of him and sell him into slavery. So that act of mercy found him. He was, he was now sold into slavery. Well, when the caravan got to Egypt, he was sold to a guy named Potiphar. Who, who was uh, under Pharaoh. He served in Pharaoh's court. And, and so he, things were going pretty well. He got favor there in Potiphar's house. Well, then from that, his, uh, uh, Potiphar's wife kept coming on to uh, Joseph. And, and Joseph kept saying no, kept saying no. And now listen, we give Joseph a lot of credit, but the truth is we don't want know what Potiphar's wife looked like. It may have been easy to say no. You know, that's all right. Some of y'all want to laugh. Some of y'all will find that offensive, and I don't care. Uh, But let's move on. But he kept saying no, kept saying no. Finally, she got her feelings hurt and said, he tried to rape me. And so now he's falsely accused of rape, finds himself in prison for years. Now, let me ask you, how would you respond to all that? I mean, one thing after another. One thing, just you, you, you get thrown in a pit by your brothers. Well, then they sell you into slavery. Well, then you get falsely accused of rape. Then you get thrown into prison. How would you handle that? I tell you how our culture tells us to handle it. It teaches us to have a victim mentality. Well, look, look, look no wonder I'm like I am. Look at this. This is what I've gone through. This is what, and, and, we, and so we develop that victim mentality. But here's what I love about Joseph. In fact, Joseph's life was so bad. Anybody remember, I was going to tell my age, anybody remember Hee Haw? Okay, you remember the one song that they would sing? It was kind of the life of Joseph. It, help me out. Gloom, despair, and come on. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for, I'd have no luck at all. Say it. I love it. Oh, I tell you, hey. And you, never mind, let's, let's move on. 
I mean, that's that pretty much how Joseph must have felt. Look at everything I'm going to. Yet after the hell he went through, after what his own brothers put him through, when the moment came that he was finally in front of his brothers that threw him in the pit, that sold him, and, he was, and now Joseph was second in command of the, of the kingdom there, he stood, his brother stood in front of him, and he had the power to either show them mercy or revenge. And yet, look how Joseph, what he says to them in Genesis 50, 20. You plotted evil against me, but God turned it into good in order to preserve the lives of many people who are alive today because of what you did to me, because of what happened. In other words, you tried to make me a victim. You tried your best to destroy me, but God turned all that back around for good, which is a sense when it says he works all things together for the good. So somebody needs to hear this. If it ain't good, he ain't done. Are you hearing me? Some of y'all are in a place. If it ain't good yet, well, he's not done. Just stay where you're. Let's move on. I mean, but he says that. He traces what you tried to use against me. God used it for good. There's only one way to have that kind of response after going through what Joseph went through. A tongue submitted to Holy Spirit and to God. So I want to give you three ways, if you're taking notes today, three ways, three P's to tame the tongue. The first one is this, pause. Just look at your neighbor and say, pause. Now look at your second choice, pause. Say, pause. 90% of the time, we'd be better off if we had just learned to keep our mouth shut and not say anything, not post anything, not type anything, just took time to... Pause. Amen. A lot. We need to quit reacting when our emotions are on high alert. Come on, we say some dumb things when our emotions. And when it would be better if we was just pause, take a deep breath. I mean, throughout this series, we've looked at uh, the book of Proverbs a whole lot. Thing about Proverbs, when you look at it and you study it. Proverbs deals with three areas in our lives. It, it deals with our morals, our money, and our mouth. That's what Proverbs deals with. Let, let's go back to the scripture we've read almost every week of this series, Proverbs 18.21. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. The tongue has the power to speak death or life. Knowing that, don't you think we would be better off to pause before we let some words come out of our mouth? Pause. Look at Proverbs 21, 23. These are words to live by. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you'll stay out of trouble. Some of you, you tattoo all kinds of scripture on you. Some of you need to tattoo that where you see it every day. You start to go, oh, keep my mouth shut and... Okay. Get it. Watch your tongue. Keep your notice. It didn't say uh, let God watch your tongue and let God keep your mouth shut. Here's why: it's not God's responsibility to govern your mouth. It's yours. It's your mouth. 
It's your words that come out. Most of the trouble, most of the drama we find ourselves in, most of the, the messes we find ourselves in, the tension in relationships are because we didn't watch our tongue and keep our mouth shut. Come on. It's our responsibility to hit pause. Look at Proverbs 10, 19. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. In other words, talk less, sin less. Look at Proverbs 17, 27, 28. A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. You ever heard the old saying, it's better to be thought of a fool than to open up your mouth and remove all doubt? Proverbs says, even a fool looks intelligent by just keeping her mouth shut, by just, just not saying anything. Listen more, talk less. What about this one, Proverbs 18, 13? Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Anybody guilty of doing that? Spouting off. <laughs> I've got people going, they're pointing at their spouses. No, it wasn't Bill. No. <laughs> so, but, you know, we've, we've responded before we heard all the facts. Or we typed out something before we heard all the facts. Or we responded to, to some news that really wasn't the truth at all before we knew the facts. It, it's, guys, I'm telling you, it's something I'm working on. And, and I, I'm going to be really honest with you today. When, when, there are times when someone's talking to me. Uh, do you, you know what I'm thinking about when they're talking to me? Not, no, not, not all the time. How I'm going to respond back to them. Not listen to what they're saying. I'm listening. How am I going to respond? Hey, as AWOL Nation says, blame it on my ADD. Uh, I, I, my mind is going a thousand different directions. So this person is talking to me. They're pouring out their soul. And, 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 and I'm off thinking of what to say. And then they finish. And they like, hey, your opinion matters to me. Uh, what, what, what do you think of this? And, and I'm going to give you away one of my secrets. Uh, I'll say something, well, tell me how you feel about this. So, <laughs> so but when I'm not listening, it's like, what do you say? You can't say, well, honestly, I wouldn't listen to a thing you said. Can you say? No. But, but that's where we get in trouble. One of the things we tell Denise, or we tell Denise, me and Denise tell couples. When we counsel, one of the things I always tell Denise, listen, woman. Listen, no, <laughs> and then my eyes finally open. <laughs> One of the things Denise and I will tell couples in counseling or premarital counseling is when you guys are talking, listen, because what happens usually, especially in arguments, is instead of listening to what they're saying, you're building up your argument in your head. What you're going to say, how you're going to respond. And it is foolish, the Bible says, to, to make a response without listening. Spouting off before listening uh, to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Let's go back to James. James 1.19, James says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It seems, especially in this culture, we do the exact opposite of that. We are very quick to speak, very quick to get angry, 
And usually it's because we were very slow to listen and understand. There's some of you, man, that lose your cool very easily. You know you've got an anger issue. You know it gets triggered when someone says something or posts something you don't agree with. And you need to take a long look at this passage and begin to put it into practice in your life. To be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. One of the biggest reasons people lose it and they respond in anger is because they don't hear what the other person is actually saying. I'm telling you, if we would learn to stop, pause, stop, pause, and listen before we speak, we'd alleviate a lot of the anger issues we deal with. Come on. We've got to learn to pause. I I remember, this is something, again, I'm working, I remember a few years back, um, uh, me and Denise were working on our communication skills. It's a daily thing. She's got to get better, folks, I'm telling you. Um, (laughs) But no, she came, I'm watching TV and she comes in there and, and is telling me, talking to me, I don't even remember the story. So I want to be polite. I'm working on my communication skills. I pause the TV and look at her, listening, waiting to think about, man, she's going to think this is so considerate. And her response is, oh, I guess I better hurry up and tell you whatever it is so we can get back to watching TV. Now, she probably didn't sound like that, but in my head she did. <laughs> but and I, I explained, babe, seriously, I'm, I'm trying to apologize because I want to listen. I want to be fully engaged. I'm going to tell you, it's something we got to get better at. Because a lot of times when we're out there in the world, non-Christians, or we're trying, we, we got these battles going on that we, it, where it's us and them. A lot of times it would be as simple as us sitting down and actually listening to why they feel the way they feel, why they react the way they do, and we begin to listen, we would see more healing in our world. I'm convinced. If our politicians, and y'all know me, I don't usually get political, but I'm convinced if our politicians would actually listen to the people that they're supposed to be representing, we would see more healing. Come on. Come on. I don't care if you clap, that's good. We gotta learn to pause. We gotta learn to pause. The second P in taming the tongue. Ponder. Ponder. Let me give you the definition of ponder. To weigh in the mind, to appraise, to think about it, reflect on. Here's my favorite. To think about something carefully, especially before making a decision or reaching a conclusion. To think about something carefully before we make a decision on it. There are three types of people in this world. And I guarantee you're one of these types, if not two or three of these types. People who think before they speak, people who think while they're speaking, and people who think after they speak. Those are the three types of people. How many have ever said something and you uh, almost immediately regret what you said? Come on. Amen. How many have ever said something and you walked away and you thought, what kind of stupid thing did I just say? I do that every Sunday. Every Sunday. Every Sunday. Because the thing is, we, we have some stupid things come out of our mouth, right? So to prove my point, I scour your social media, those that call this place home. And I'm going to put up here some of the stupid things that I've seen you post. Y'all ready? See, some of you got scared. 
because you know you put some stupid stuff up there on the screen. But let me give you, here's some actual stupid things that have been said. Dan Quayle said this, a lower voter turnout is an indication of fewer people going out to the polls. I'd say that's accurate. Rod Brogdon, University of Pennsylvania basketball player, said this. This sounds like somebody from Pennsylvania. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to graduate on time, no matter how long it takes. (laughs) Anybody remember uh, Mayor Marion Barry, Washington, D.C.? Here's what he said. Outside of the killings, Washington has one of the lowest crime rates in the country. (laughs) Baseball great, Dizzy Dean. He was explaining how he felt after being hit on the head by a ball in the 1934 World Series. He says, the doctors x-rayed my head and they found nothing. (laughs) And my favorite. March 10th, 1871, in the Kalamazoo Gazette, Elder Poison said, A man who had maliciously set fire to a barn and burned up a stable full of horses and cows ought to be kicked to death by a jackass, and I'd like to be the one who does it. <laughs> Laugh, it'll ease the pain. Because we've all said stupid stuff. We've all said things that later we thought, man, what was I thinking? And, and where do our thoughts come from? Most of our, our mind, our brain. But I, I want to I think, I think our thoughts originate in the heart. Originate in the heart. Look, look, look at this, uh, Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinks in his what? So is he. As he thinks in his heart. So is he. In Luke 2, 19, Mary just found out she was going to become the mother of Jesus. And look at this. Mary kept all these things in her what? And thought about them often. Luke 2, 35. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. One day, the the, the disciples were having this argument, who's going to be the greatest? And look what Jesus says in Luke 9, 46, 47. A dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greatest. Jesus, perceiving the thought of their what? Took a little child and said, mine. Look at this, Matthew 9, 4. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil? Where? In your hearts. They originate. I, I, I think their thoughts really originate. I know it's in the mind or in the brain, but I really think they originate right here in the heart. Matthew 15, 17, 19. Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart, get this, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. From the heart come all those things. Look what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents. Of the heart. 
of the heart. Can I tell you, when I say our thoughts originate in the heart, that's why I tell you all the time, God is after your heart. Before God is after, we say God is after money, God is after, uh, listen, I, listen, God is not, a, God knows this, if I can get their heart, all this other junk will line up. If I can just get their hearts. If I can just, and that because those things originate in the heart. So we need to quit, here, here's something, stop, when do we need to stop speaking to people off the top of our head? Start speaking to people from the bottom of our hearts. Pause, ponder, the third. Pray. Pray. I know this sounds simple, but can I tell you, praying will tame your tongue. Look at Isaiah 6.1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne. Train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. They were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts, thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. I want you to get the intensity of what is going on here. Isaiah has found himself in the presence of God Almighty. And he finds himself convicted in one area of his life. Look at it. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah in the presence of God. And there's one thing that God really convicts him about. His mouth. His mouth. And Isaiah says, I'm ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a bunch of people with unclean lips. Then he goes on. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand. Which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it he touched my mouth. And said, see this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isaiah became convicted of the words that he spoke, of the words that were coming out of his mouth. And because of the words that were coming out of the mouth of those he hung out with. And here's what I love about Isaiah's response. When he was convicted, he didn't try to blame it on circumstance. He didn't try to blame it on the way he was raised. He didn't try to blame it on the thing. He's like, you know what? I, I am a man of unclean lips. It's got everything to do with me. And it says when he repented, when he did that, it said that he took that coal, put it to his lips, the angel did, and says now your guilt is gone and your sins are forgiven. Isaiah was made aware of his words, what was coming out of his mouth, that it needed to change. And here's the thing, when his heart got changed, what came out of his mouth got changed. That's good. And when that changed, when his heart changed, look what he said. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Only after he repented. Only when he said, You know what, God, it's me. 
Only when he repented, only when his heart got changed, was he able to say, send me. Send me. What's more? If we want the atmosphere in our communities to change, if we want the atmosphere in our homes, our schools, our places of employment to change, this is where it starts. It starts right here. Say, God, it's me. I repent. It starts with repentance. We need that kind of encounter that Isaiah had with God. We need that where we fall to our knees and begin to repent of those things in our lives. We need that kind of, I need that kind of encounter with God. I need that kind of encounter every morning before I get up and go out. God, wash my lips. God, change my heart. Help me to not say anything that is not from you. I need that. And Isaiah was like, God, here's what I know. Before I go out there in the real world, I've got you. I've got to have you cleanse me. Before I go out there where other people are with unclean lips, I need you to cleanse mine. I can't go out there the same I was yesterday. And I tell you guys, there's got to be something that differentiates us from the world. Are you hearing me? There's got to be something that separates us from the world. That makes us look different. That, that makes us, when, when, when we talk, I said this last week, and I said, here's a good question to ask. The words that come out of your mouth, do they make people want Jesus, or do they make people wonder if you even have a relationship with Jesus? See, I want, I, I want our young people to be that person in the classroom. Where when all, all that's going on is negativity. When all that's going on is, is questioning identity. I want, I want our young people to be that person that stands up and speaks hope and speaks life into our school. I want us to be the people that at work when there's everything else going on. People being talked about. People in their circles. Gossip and all that. We're the one that stands up and speaks life and hope there. I want it to be us. There's enough of death being spoken over in where, where we go every day, our schools, our work, at Walmart, in our neighborhoods. Let us be the ones that speaks life. Life. I opened up telling about two people, Jesus and Joseph, and what it looks like to have tongues submitted to God. I want to close with one last example. I could stand up here and tell you some things I've been through in my life. I could tell you some of the hardships I've walked through. But I have no doubt there are others in here that can stand up, put my story to shame. And be like, you, you think that was hard? Let me share my life with you. But there's one person in the Bible that there's nobody could go story for story with. A guy by the name of Job. I want, if you're not familiar with the story, let me just read you a, a few verses and show you what happened to Job in one afternoon. One, one afternoon, this hit him wave upon wave upon wave. This is what happened. Look at Job 1, starting with verse 13. 
One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. And the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword. And I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger showed up and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties, swept down on your camels, made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting. Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert, struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed and they are all dead. In six short verses, Job loses everything. How would you respond to that? How would I respond to that? I'm talking about wave in one afternoon, losing everything. Here's how it says Job responds in verse 22. In all these things, Job sinned not by his lips, nor spoke any foolish thing against God. How does someone like Job that just went through the worst day of their life. How do they not respond with anger? How do they not respond with a, God, why me? God, why, why me? Come on, let's be honest. We can lose service on our cell phone, and it's like, God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, we get, but here Job loses it all. The answer is two verses before this. What Job did before he allowed any words to come out of his mouth. Look at verse 20. This is right after all that happened. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, then fell to the ground in worship. Before Job spoke any word, before he said, God, why? Before he said, he worshiped. Job submitted his tongue to God through worship. You want to know why we open up every service with worship? Because most of you, you go through hell throughout the week. You've been out with people, among people with unclean lips, and you have had unclean lips yourself. And you need to come in here to submit your words your mouth to God through worship. Here's what that looks like. God, before, yeah, yeah, God, I've had a bad week. Yeah, I got my marriage is about to just fall apart. Yeah, my kid's out of his mind. Yeah, I've been laid off. But you know what? But I don't even want to talk about that, God, right now. I just want to worship you. Because here's what worship does. Worship takes the focus off of ourselves. Off of the mess we're in. Off of the problems that we're going through. Off of the junk that's going on in our world. And it places the focus on God. Stand with me across the room, April, if you'll go. 